Hey fam, I want to take a moment to chat with you before we start the show. I'm sure you've all heard about the beloved Chadwick Boseman. He passed away on Friday, August 28, 2020. He was a real-life hero and a deep loss to this world. I send my deepest condolences to his family and close friends who are hurting right now, but also to his fans and to those who look up to him. I don't know about you, but when I heard the news, I lost my breath. I'm sending my love to each one of you who are coping with the passing of this true hero. To King T'Challa, may he rest in peace. Thank you for listening, and enjoy the show. Boys and girls, your attention, please. Presenting a new exciting radio program featuring the thrilling adventures of an amazing and incredible personality. Faster than an airplane, more powerful than a locomotive, impervious to bullets. Up in the sky, look, it's a bird, it's a plane, it's Superman! Welcome to Ongoing Comic Book Discussion Podcast. I'm your host, Tess Yanos, and today is a marvelous day for comics. If you've been here before, thank you so much for coming back. I appreciate all the lovely messages and comments you guys leave after listening to an episode. It means the world to me. You don't even know. Uh, if you are new to OCD, welcome. I am so happy to have you here. Here at OCD, we dive into the wild world of comic books every single week. I'm, be I'm still in the beginning stages of my own comic journey, so I bring on my friends to help me guide to help me guide through this like fun roller coaster of a storytelling medium. It's so much freaking fun. And yes, I ask all the dumb questions, and I'm proud of my dumb questions. Thank you very much. And now, a fun September shows announcement for you all. And I have kind of hit, hinted at this before, but next week officially starts X-Men Month. Yes, X-Men Month. Dun, dun, dun. Personally, I only know the X-Men movies, so I am looking forward to chatting about the X-Men comics with some of the most ultimate X-Men experts ever. And when I say X-Men experts, I'm not kidding. Every week, I will be shouting out to all of you peeps on social media to ask what you would like for me to ask the X-Men experts on air. So please keep a lookout for those posts. You can also get access to the full September lineup over at patreon.com slash OCD podcast. Lots of fun stuff going on over there as well. Lastly, as promised last week, stay tuned for later in the episode for a big, big, big announcement. I am so excited to tell you about a super spooky project I've been working on with my amazing podcast and comic book friends. Now, to introduce today's co-host, he has been officially dubbed OCD's official comic historian. This guy knows so much about comic book history, it's bananas. He is the host of the Comics Culture and Cosplay podcast and a good pal of mine. He is Josh. What's up, Josh? Hello, Tess. <laughs> hello, hello, hello. Thank you for that uh, for that way too generous introduction. <laughs> Comics historian. I, I I don't know about that. I mean, I, I know things, yes, but I am I am no you, you give me far too much credit than I am deserving of. Are you kidding me? I think I get an email from you a week of like things that you've researched on just random comic history. And I was like, dude, you got to come on the show and we got to do a series. <laughs> so this is, well, yeah. 
I'm, I'm, I'm excited. I'm very excited. And again, utterly flattered that you would think to have me on in this capacity. Of course, of course. Um, so you guys, this is the first official ongoing series here at OCD. Josh will be back in January to discuss the Silver Age of Comics. We are starting this week with the Golden Age of Comics, and I am so excited. But first, let's get to know Josh. Josh is awesome, you guys. Um, so Josh, how did you get into comics? Because certainly it takes over your whole life <laughs> in the best way. Oh, yeah, it, it does. It so, so does. And for me personally, it started when I was a kid growing up here in the Chicagoland area. Ironically enough, getting my start reading the Sunday Funnies because ah. the the Tribune is always well known for having a good Sunday funny section. And I'm, I'm dating myself a little bit here, but I bet I remember back when the Sunday Funnies was above the fold, Charles Schultz's peanuts, because I was alive <laughs> for those few remaining years before Mr. Schultz left us for that great big uh, backyard in the sky with Snoopy and Aww. Woodstock and the rest of the gang. Yeah. And then right below the fold was Dick Tracy, you Ooh. know, everybody's favorite hard cracking knuckle dusting uh, police detective in the yellow fedora and, sn and snazzy yellow trench coat. So that was my intro to comics. And then I would go to my library and I would read collections of the more like kid friendly stuff. And I would also get the little Archie digests from my local grocery store with my meager allowance that I earned for doing the usual kitty chores and stuff. Of course. And I'd read Sonic. But then when I got a little bit older, I just started to get into comics on a broader level. So I would read Spider-Man, Captain America, mm -hmm. uh, Kurt Busiek's Astro City, stuff by Darwin Cook, uh, Grant Morrison, Alan Moore and the like. And I just, I fell in love. I fell in <laughs> love and it has been a passionate love affair for my entire life. And Aww. as much as I have done so many other amazing things with my life, uh, you talked about the Triple C podcast. That is something I'm immensely proud of. Mm -hmm. Shout out to Zach, Mari, and Kevin. I love you guys. <laughs> but comics will always remain chief among those loves because even though I cannot draw for beans, <laughs> Yeah. I love the artwork. Everything about it is so amazing. And that is why I love that we're starting off our discussion with the Golden Age, because that is where comics art, as we know it, mm. from brilliant people that are currently in the industry like Amanda Connor or the formerly uh, with us Darwin Cook or Andy Kubert or any number of names, Babs Tar, whomever, all of that began all those decades ago during the golden age of comics. Amazing. I I love history so much, especially mm. like now just diving into comics. I like to know the history of the things that I'm like obsessed with. And so I am so excited to bring this to everyone because I feel like even people that have been reading comics forever, they may not know how, you know, those comics came to be. Maybe they have a rough idea, but like you're an encyclopedia when it comes to that. So I'm so honored you're here, truly. <laughs> encyclopedia. I don't know about that, but I, 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 I do have a lot of, uh, I do have a lot of knowledge up in the old brain pan there so i'm very proud of it i don't know if i could ever win be jeopardy 
smart with this stuff, but it's useful for bar trivia, even Uh, though I don't actually go to bars that much. But you get my point. I do. Totally, totally do. Um, Okay, so Josh and I hopped on the phone earlier this week, and I was like, hey, man, how are we going to outline the show? And he just guided me through it, and I was like, oh, can you send me that list? He's like, oh, I just rattled that off the top of my head. And I was like, oh, (laughs) you. so you do know a lot, my friend. Um, So I have just done research throughout this week and the weeks prior because I'm trying to catch up here it's a lot to know, um, a lot to love, and a lot of drama, which I think is awesome. <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> it's interesting drama, and I'm so it's so interesting to dive into. So we are definitely going to do that. But uh, we agreed to start out at the the first one, 1938. Take it away, Josh. All right, so. Uh, 1938, June 1938, Action Comics number one. First appearance of Superman. Cal L, last son of Krypton, secretly Clark Kent, ace reporter for the Daily Planet. We all know his story. We have seen it in TV, cartoons, and movies, audio books, uh, the, the, the Superman radio show that was popular during the 1940s. Mm-hmm. You, you get my point. But... Before we really get into that, we need to take a tiny step back in time to what comic books were before the superhero. Okay. So originally, comic books were just a repackaging of newspaper strips done by magazine publishers and pulp publishers who were realizing that they were kind of losing out on a certain degree of business mm. to the people who were getting their regular subscriptions to the Sunday paper. Mm-hmm. So they just literally repackaged every popular comic strip that was around at that point in time. And we're talking Dick Tracy in his early years, Blondie, Terry and the Pirates. uh, Oh my gosh, just so many. Flash Gordon, Mm -hmm. Tarzan, you name it. It was repackaged cheaply in these, you know, cheap nickel and dime magazines that became the comic book. But then they also started to develop their own original content as well. You had two-fisted sea dogs like Popeye. You had private eyes and police detectives like Dick Tracy. You had, unfortunately, very stereotypical uh, menaces from Asia like Mm. Fu Manchu and whatnot. But then you also had... You had you had some you had some original content there, but it was very basic. It was very just trying to steal from the pulps. You know, the the, the adventure magazines with characters like Doc Savage and the Shadow, mm-hmm. or the spicy romance stuff from the twenties and thirties, or even going further back to John Carter of Mars and Tarzan. So anyway, yeah. uh, the first the first costumed character that everyone talks about was a character known as the Clock, and he appeared in the mid nineteen thirties. But then you also, and he was secretly Brian Breen, a district attorney who, in order to further combat crime beyond the confines of the legal system, put on a, naz- a snazzy suit and a full face mask as the clock. Mm. So he was the first actual original costumed character in comics. Everyone gives all that credit to Superman because mm. he is Superman. Right. But the first actual costume character was a guy known as the clock. And then a more other well-known character was a character from D.C., as it was originally known, National Periodical Publications, the Crimson Avenger, crusading newspaper publisher Lee Travis, who put on a red costume and a red domino mask and fought crime with a pair of 45s in his fists, very much like the shadow. Mm -hmm. So that was the mid-1930s, late 30s. But then June of 1938, 
Action Comics 1, the iconic Superman cover of him hoisting a Studebaker or a Chevy or whatever yeah. it was above his head mm -hmm. with, like, you know, criminals just running, freaking the heck out because who is this guy in the circus tights that yeah. can literally lift a car up like it's a rock or a paper mache project? <laughs> and that was the domino that really started it all because after that, the floodgates were open and the golden age of comics officially began. Amazing. And you said that they were drawn to superheroes more because of the war, right? Like they just needed somebody to save them? In a, in a way, yes. The, 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 the golden age, again, it started out in 1938, but the industry really, really took off more so because of World War II. Mm, okay. And that is because everybody got in on the war effort. Hollywood, radio, the music industry, and comics. Because everybody wanted to do their part to support the war for all the boys that were overseas and for everybody that was at home. And comics were and still are a form of escapism to this day. But during the war, especially for kids who had fathers and uncles and brothers overseas in the uh, Pacific and European theater, for them it was a way to forget about the the, the knowledge that they could get that infamous envelope or telegram one day saying that, you know, you're, you're you know, X name has was killed in combat or is missing in action. Mm -hmm. And then that, that horrible uncertainty of not knowing whether or not your husband or your boyfriend or your fiance or your dad or whomever is going to be coming home from the war. Right, right. It was it was escapism for everyone. It was different. It was new. It was exciting. It was it was. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And that's one of the reasons why I feel like a lot of people these days love comics is because of that escapism it's a way to forget about the world for a little while i know that especially during the pandemic with the world being on its head if i've needed to just kill a little time just shut off my brain mm -hmm. normally you know first reaction is to go to a streaming service you know disney plus hbo max hulu amazon prime whatever sure. And I do that. I fully admit I do that. I love my streaming services. Sure. They're, they're great. But for me also personally, because I got a shelf full of comics and a shelf full of graphic novels and a closet full of stuff, I nine times out of ten will just go to my bookcase, pull something off the, the <laughs> shelf. Doesn't matter if I've read it three days ago, three weeks ago, or three years ago. I'll read it because yeah, it is yeah. just as exciting for me as it was the first time I picked it up. That's awesome. See, like I've read probably two comic books twice and I'm able to blaze through them. Not like a movie where like a movie you watch for a second time. And sometimes you're like, oh yeah, this is the part, da da da. But like comics, you see something different probably every time you read it. You know, it depends what mood you're in. But yeah, it's, I love, that's why I love comics, man. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And yeah, that's for me. It's also the same with certain movies too, but that's a whole other discussion <laughs> for another day. But with comics, it's because the story may remain the same and the artwork may remain the same, but you notice the little things. Sure. You notice the line work. You notice the poses of a character. You notice their facial expressions, the vividness of the color, mm -hmm. the, the things that really make it sizzle and pop. Sure. And that's one of the reasons why I feel like comics were so sizzle and pop back during the 1940s, because if anyone out there in the sound within the sound of our voices just Googles 1940s comic book art, it is a 
far cry from the stuff that we have today because the people that started out in the industry back then, they were men and women who they had a passable ability to draw or a decent imagination and they were able to come up with stuff on a quick basis to, Mm -hmm. you know, make whatever their page rate was or whatever their cover, the price was per cover or Mm -hmm. et cetera, et cetera. Mm -hmm. And they were able to churn out this stuff at an incredibly fast pace to meet the demand that was needed at that point in time, not just because of the war, but because of the need for fresh entertainment too. Right. Right. Cause and, they didn't have all the streaming services we have now. <laughs> no, you know, you, you went to the movie houses, you paid your nickel, you paid your dime, you paid your quarter, you saw your movie. Or if, mm-hmm. if you were a kid on Saturday, you paid your, whatever you got your cartoons, you got your newsreel and you got your next installment of your weekly, you know, movie serial adventure whether it was superman batman captain marvel dick tracy or some jungle adventure or tarzan or flash gordon or whatever Mm -hmm. that was your entertainment for movies back then tv didn't exist really until the 50s yeah that's crazy so um i would love for you to tell the siegel and schuster story when it comes to batman uh, excuse me superman wow uh so what happened there what happened there here's the first part of the drama (laughs) all right well so the fathers of Superman were Jerry Siegel and Joe Schuster, two friends from Cleveland, Ohio, mm-hmm. who loved the pulps. They loved sci-fi, and they created Superman originally, you know, and shopped him around and stuff. But they also kept developing the character further and further into what he was roughly in that first issue of Action Comics, you know, and mm-hmm. that was very start out fast, hit the ground running. They didn't they wanted to introduce him as fast as possible. But this is where history takes a bit of a rough turn. They sold the rights to Superman in exchange for whatever the, at that point, monthly rate was per story and per book for each of them, respectively, as writer and artist. Okay. And I think they sold the rights for a hundred something bucks to DC at that, at that point in time. They sold away the rights to a character that they had created 100% in exchange for the week, the you know, the monthly pay or whatever it was for the project, and also to have their names in print, and that was great. But they got screwed royally, contractually, yeah. and the legal system exists and it works. We get that. But when it came to how they were treated back then, and I love DC, I love them with all my heart, but they really did poorly by Siegel and Schuster back then because while DC was making millions off of the Superman radio show Mm -hmm. and the Max Fleshier Superman cartoons that were popular at the time and the rubber statues and the coin banks and the Superman capes for kids and all this stuff, Siegel and Schuster were just making their monthly, you know, book and page rate. That's crazy. And I, um, I watched that documentary you suggested that I watched called Comic Book Confidential. Yes. Yes. It was so awesome. You guys have got to check it out. If you have not, it is on Amazon Prime for free, actually. Um, but I saw that Superman was a like rejected upon rejected idea. It was basically mm. like deep in the trash bin and somebody pulled it out and they were like, well, this could work. Yeah. <laughs> That's that's <laughs> yeah, and that that is true. That Siegel and Schuster went got numerous rejections until the bright boys over at uh, National Publications decided, hey, we're gonna take a chance on this guy, mm-hmm. and the rest is literally history. You know, eighty something years of Superman saving the world, saving not just our world, but saving the universe, saving the multiverse yeah. from numerous threats. Yeah. I mean, and he was like, he was an alien that looked like a human. Like people were probably 
Like we're like, oh yeah, Superman, we get the idea, we got it, we got it, blah blah blah. He's from not, he's not from here, da da da. But like people back then were probably like, oh what? He is not from this earth, like what? You know? So that had to be a huge thing for them. Like imagine, like the idea of a superhuman for the first time. You know what I mean? Like it's it's not everywhere like it is today and we're just kind of used to having characters with superhuman uh, abilities, but like just seeing that and being like, "Wow. Oh yeah, what happened if you have super strength or you could fly?" And oh, speaking of him flying, I saw that he used to leap and not fly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, his his powers have grown and evolved from what they were in 1938. It was originally that he was just faster than the fastest train. His skin was, you know, nigh impervious to physical harm mm-hmm. and he could leap us leap tall buildings in a single bound. So, you know, imagine the tallest skyscraper at that point, you know, mm-hmm. you, you know, like you have the empire state building, one of the tallest buildings in the world at that point, he could leap that crazy. And now look at him. He can fly. <laughs> he can see through walls. He has heat vision. He has Arctic breath. He can, you know, to, to, to pull from the uh, Chris Reeves Superman movie, he can, you know, fly so fast around the earth. He can change the rotation and turn back time. Wow. Never really get, get dug that one, but you get my point. Like Superman as a, as a character has grown yeah. in, in ways that are unbelievable. Okay. And it, it, it's crazy to think about how far he has come as well as the comic book industry from the early days of detective comics and action comics and the pulp novels and the repackagings mm-hmm. of the newspaper strips and even going far back to adventure novels like uh, Philip Wiley's Gladiator with Hugo Danner or Edgar Rice Burroughs with John Carter of Mars or Tar- or Tarzan. Just yeah. it, it, It's crazy to think about where we are today but one thing that i know we discussed on the phone that is so essential for everyone to understand with the comic book industry at this point is that it was as bare bones as you're gonna get there was none of the established procedures and ways of doing things that we have today in many ways comic book companies were born out of the pulps not only in terms of creativity but also a business aspect too pulp publishers saw that tastes were changing and many of them quickly reformatted their style to produce comic books which were cheaper anyway because you because all you had to worry about was just your production cost and it was a lot and also you didn't have to worry about as much of a you know rate instead of you know paying by the word sure. you paid by the page right which could have been i don't know the number of projections obviously nobody does but would have been considerably cheaper depending on the company and depending on what you were willing to pay your artists and your writers per book. Mm-hmm. One thing I love about the golden age though, is the explosion of creativity. <laughs> Superman yeah. really did kick it off in so many ways. And so you had so many characters that were born of that whole situation. You had Superman, you had Batman, you had Wonder Woman, you had Captain America, you had the Submariner, you had the original human torch you had Captain Midnight, who was originally a radio show character. You had the Comet, the Finn, the Snowman, the Sandman, Hydroman, Captain Courageous, Captain Flag, the Catman and Kitten, Bulletman and Bullet Girl, Hawkman and Hawk Girl, the Star Spangled Kid, and Stripesy. Shout out for Star Girl there for everybody who was watching that show. <laughs> Dr. Midnight, Mr. Terrific, Mr. Scarlet, Dollman, the 
Adam, all of these characters. Ooh. And that's just a few off the top of the list. Yeah, it was all, I mean, it, it was all superheroes at first. Just so many superheroes. And then they had Lex Luthor, Robin, Joker. The Joker, everybody. And characters, and, and that's another thing too. So many of the characters that have stuck around today especially big names like Lex Luthor and uh, and the Toy Man and the Prankster for Superman over there and, uh, Mixter, and Mr. Mix S. Pitlick, you know, that funny little dude from the Fifth Dimension. But then you got over at <laughs> Batman. You have yeah. Robin, you have Alfred, you have Commissioner Gordon, you have Joker, Oof. Penguin, Catwoman, Riddler, Two-Face, Scarecrow, Tweedledee and Tweedledum, the Mad Hatter, <laughs> Gotham City, the Batmobile, Wonder Woman, you got the Cheetah, you have Baroness Paula Von Gunther, Gunther. you have Steve Trevor, you have Etta Can Andy, you have so much yeah. that was literally born from just pure imagination and creativity during the 1930s, the late 30s and the 40s and the 50s. Oh my gosh. Josh, I have to say, I love your passion <sighs> for this, my friend. It is so inspiring. Keep it coming, man. Are you out of breath? <laughs> yeah, that, it, it takes a little bit out of you when you rattle it off. And I could rattle it off. I, I, I it. really, really could. But this is your show. I don't want to, no. I don't want to, I don't want to, I don't want to steal the flag from you and everything. So are you kidding what are me? some things, what are some things that you would like uh, your listening audience to know about the golden age that we haven't already covered so far? We've covered a lot pretty quickly. Yes, we have. We have covered a lot pretty quickly and I'm so grateful because there is still more to come, which is, I think we're encroaching upon one of my favorite parts, which is what happens mm. after the war in comics. Ah, uh, yes. yes. All right. So <laughs> just a brief recap. Yep. 1938, action number one, Superman. Domino effect, everything starts happening. Oh, and the Justice you know, Society of America, I wanted to point out that one as well, where they kind of bring them all together and they cross yes. over, right? Yeah, well, not even a crossover. Oh, the okay. concept of the crossover, if you want to talk about in terms of like DC and the multiverse, was in the pages of Flash, in, okay. that, in, in the famous story Flash of Two Worlds, where Barry Allen and Jay Garrick meet for the first time. Okay. But if in, your in terms of teams, mm -hmm. in terms of multiple characters being brought together under one banner. That is the Justice Society of America, which were characters being published by national publications and also all American comics, which was a sub a, a subsidiary or imprint or whatever of what is now DC Comics. And that was the that was the brainchild of Gardner Fox to bring all of these characters together. And if you want to know more about Gardner Fox, you can go check out an amazing biography about him, the only one I know of in existence called Forgotten All-Star, wow. which is a, which is the story of Gardner Fox. Let me make sure I, uh, I, 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 I'll come back to it later, but it is an amazing biography about a man who gave so much to the industry. Uh, Say his name again? He not, Gardner Fox. Gardner he not, Fox. Okay. He was not only the original creator of Hawkman and the Sandman and the original Flash, Jay Garrick, and also the Justice Society of America. He was the creator of the Justice League of America too, because mm -hmm. he he was he was one of DC's bright boys. He churned out, I believe, collectively over twelve hundred scripts for them during his time working in comics. But we can get back to that another time. <laughs> now, the Justice Society of America again. They're yes. the first ever team. Okay. Which is a an amazing thing, an amazing, amazing thing. So mm -hmm. you had 
the he's original lineup. His books. He's flipping through yeah. his books right now. Okay. Go yes, I'm flipping through my texts. So, <laughs> All Star Comics number three, December 1940 from DC Comics. The original lineup was The Flash, okay. Green Lantern, Hawkman, Our Man, Sandman, Doctor Fate, The Spectre, and The Atom. All of these characters who were just crushing it in terms of sales for what was to become DC Comics. And Gardner Fox has the idea, along with uh, editor Sheldon Mayer, to to do a companion comic book, to bring all of these characters together. And it sold big. It was an amazing, amazing thing. And the JSA also were uh, instrumental into promoting the war effort as well. They were There were so many covers of them about you know buying war bonds and supporting the war effort and doing your part on the home front to mm. inspire kids to you know get out there and to take part in scrap drives and collecting grease to be sold at your local butcher because grease <laughs> helped to make the explosives for bullets and bombs. <laughs> No, I'm being serious. I'm being serious. Uh, Grease was repackaged and reused because the content, the components of just even pure bacon fat could be used to help make nitroglycerin. Whoa. That's, yeah. And they, they it, all had to know that stuff because during the war, everybody was trying to like protect themselves. It was a scary time. Oh, it, it absolutely was. But yeah, so the JSA, they also brought in characters like Johnny Thunder, the guy who, uh, with his magic word of CU, was assisted in fighting crime with a magic Thunderbolt genie. Oh. You had one Wonder Woman who... Yeah was a member of the team as well, as well as Hawk Girl. You also had characters like Black Canary. You had Starman. You had you had, you had uh, Dr. Midnight. You had so many amazing characters that were added to that roster during the 1940s that are now quintessential members of the team throughout the history of the characters. And it really, like, the concept of the JSA is an amazing thing because everyone's like, oh, the Justice League of America. Well, mm. really, if it wasn't for the JSA... If it wasn't for Gardner Fox, we wouldn't have the Justice League. We wouldn't have had the movie back in 2017. We wouldn't have the Snyder Cut that's happening now. Sure. We, if not for that, we wouldn't have cartoons like the Justice League and Justice League Unlimited cartoons or Justice League action. We wouldn't have TV shows like Stargirl or Smallville if not for characters like Superman and so on and so forth. But that was that's and, and really quickly with the war. Yeah. Yes. That was where creativity ran amok because the whole point was to promote the war effort about bashing the Nazis and kicking the butts of the, of the, of the empire of Japan. And that is no disrespect to the nation of Japan or anybody I know who is from Japan, but it's because that was the point in time. That was history. Right. It's unfortunate, but it's there. We can't ignore it. We, we unfortunately can't ignore it because it is there. But my point being, there were so many patriotic characters and even non-patriotic characters that boomed during the 1940s. Captain America being the most famous with that classic cover of him socking Hitler with his classic <laughs> shield. Yeah. But actually, he wasn't even the first patriotic character. The first patriotic character, the first comic book character to wear the flag on his or her chest uh-huh. was the shield that appeared in Pep Comics number one a year before we entered the war. Pep Comics number one. Wow, okay. From okay. MLJ Publications, and more about them later. <laughs> Because MLJ, MLJ is one of those companies that evolved throughout the throughout the, the, this period and is now still around today as a company that we all know putting out characters that are very familiar to us. And I want to get to that 
very after the after this little bit of about the about the 40s with the war so you had captain america you had characters like black terror who also fought and fought like you know uh axis themed characters you had the fighting yank miss america just if 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 they could think of a halfway clever name and put the flag on their costume and think of halfway decent axis themed villains Mm -hmm. it sold it sold it was literally a license to print money at that point that's that's crazy. So and it was all to promote the war. It was all for the war. Yeah, and that's that's nuts that like I, I just can't get over it that like this started because of violence, but I, but in a good way. It's like escapism like we said. So right. Josh, I got to ask, out of all of those characters that you name you just named, if you could pick a top 3, I won't say Ooh. your favorite one. We'll say top 3. Who would they top be three. and briefly why? Mm-hmm. All right. Well, <laughs> you got this. you're born for this. Yes. Well, in terms of I'm going to I'm going to use the JSA as one of them for top three, because I love them. Oh, good. I love them so much. Uh, people who have been listening to the Triple C podcast know that we have been talking endlessly about the star girl show from dc because it is such a great show because of my love for the justice society of america because of what they represent they are not just the first super team they are a legacy team uh before the new 52 reboot before the rebirth reboot a couple years ago jeff johns did some of the most amazing work in the world on the justice society of america because he like me loved and loves that team so much that he did some amazing work with them, introducing second and third generation members of that team in the form of, say, for example, you know, you had Stargirl, Courtney Whitmore, the second Star Spangled Kid, and then also carrying on the lineage of the Starman legacy. Mm-hmm. You had the third Dr. Midnight, Dr. Pieter Cross, who was carrying on the legacy of the original uh, Dr. Midnight, Charles McKnighter. But then you also had your senior members of the board, Jay Garrick, the first speedster ever, Alan Scott, the original Green Lantern, Ted Cat. Ted Grant, Wildcat, the man with the quickest fists in the ring, and then also Carter Hall, Hawkman, you know, the reincarnated Egyptian prince Khufu with his lover Chiara coming back as Hawk Girl. Mm-hmm. Well, That's you... why I love that because it's all about family. It's not just about yeah. saving the world. They are a family in the most literal sense of the word. And if you want to get a sense of that, do actually go check out Stargirl because they really <laughs> showcase that perfectly on this program. Okay, so JSA so, is one. Okay. What's JSA. Will Eisner's The Spirit. And when I say The Spirit, people will immediately think of the movie starring Gabriel Mack that came out in the 2000s with Samuel L. Jackson. And that's a fine movie, but it's not a great movie. I'm sorry. Because The Spirit, if you read The Spirit... Will Eisner is one of the was one of the most fundamentally brilliant creators of the night of the of the comic book industry, not just in the 1940s when he created the spirit, but also comics in general. He was famous for doing original work like Contract with God, which was one of the first graphic novels where it was original, original content that came out in the 1970s. But the spirit was not even created for comics. Mm. He was he was actually a newspaper character. He, he had his own little story section in in weekly newspapers where you could read his adventures. And they were usually seven or eight pages long. But Eisner would tell a complete story in those seven or eight pages, start to finish, of the spirit. Formerly uh, p- private investigator Denny Colt, who in stopping a mad scientist named uh, Dr. Cobra, 
from unleashing a a a suspended animation fluid on this on on Central City hmm. in order to you know you know un, you know in order to hold it for ransom and then possibly the world he was presumed dead oh. and because he was presumed dead he was buried alive in his family mausoleum but he came he he woke up came out and because he was a dead man he realized he could do more good outside of the law by donning the mask and blue co- and blue suit and fedora and red tie of the spirit and he had no powers the spirit has no powers he is quite literally just a dude with his fists and a brilliant mind and a keen sense of detection wow you know who that reminds me of is spawn how he's dead and he decides to use well, I've yeah. only read the first volume, but he's but, he's dead and he can get through the world. Maybe I'm wrong. I'm totally wrong. <laughs> I mean, you know, you're not half wrong, but the problem is with Spawn is that he also has powers. The spirit is just oh. incredibly tough. The okay. spirit, if anything, his one singular power is that he takes an immense of, um, immense amount of beating mm-hmm. and is able to keep coming back. Ah, I see. Wow. Yes. So that was uh, Will Eisner's character. who He first appeared uh, June 1940 as the main feature of uh, Sunday Papers, and he was ultimately carried by 20 papers, but with a combined circulation of 5 million copies during the 1940s. So immensely, immensely popular. And that carried from 1940 until October of 1952. But the character still endures to this day. Example, the movie. You know, not a a great movie, not a bad movie, but it still is proof of the power of the character. Sure. So I would highly recommend if anybody has even remotely ever heard of Will Eisner or The Spirit, go check out either uh, two trade paperbacks that DC put out through license with uh, Kitchen Sink Press and also The Estate of Will Eisner. There is The Best of the Spirit, which is some of the best spirit stories that were put out during the Eisner's career of writing and drawing the character, and also the spirit Femme Fatales, because the spirit is known not just for having really great stories, he was also known for having a bevy of attractive female characters, both good and bad, in his supporting cast. So those are two books. Also, DC also published a 20-something volume set of the Spirit Archives, which was the complete run of the spirit from 1940 to 1952 as well as the spirit as well as various spirit comics that have been put out over the years as well goodness gracious well that's awesome this is so fun okay so so that's my first two and so that's my first two i got the jsa and the spirit and then ironically enough my last one is a character i mean everybody would normally assume i said batman i love batman Mm -hmm. but because He's so off the beaten path. Sure. And because he was the first patriotic character to ever be created for comics, it has to be the shield from okay. Pep Comics number one. Pep because number one. And, and and not just because he is the first patriotic character, but also because he's the most interesting. Because his origin is that his uh, uh his name is Joe Higgins, his father was an FBI agent during the J. Edgar Hoover days, who was unfortunately implicated in the infamous Black Tom scandal that shed a, ne- a negative light on the uh, FBI and the uh, legitimacy of the agency. And so, you know, he's a, he was a chemist who discovered his father's formula for a shield formula. And the, 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 the shield name actually stands for the different parts of the body that he applied. He drank the formula and then exposed himself to a chemical ray that was bathed his body, uh, the sacrum, the heart, 
the innervation, the eyes, lungs, and the derma. This this formula gave and and the, and these rays gave him super strength, the ability to leap very high, and also invulnerability. So meaning he could slug off bullets, he could slug off knives, he could slug off you know cannon fire, anything. Woohoo! Why and is he not around still? He is still, and the reason being, and we'll get it. And this is a perfect segue into the post-war years. Okay. MLJ Comics, the company that originally published him, okay. eventually became known as Archie Comics. Archie, oh. everybody's favorite freckle-faced, redheaded boyfriend, you of know, course. with his two with his two heartthrobs, Betty and Veronica, best friend Jughead, mm-hmm. pseudo-nemesis Reggie, Moose, Midge, Dilton Doily, Josie and the Pussycats, Sabrina the Teenage Witch. Yes. All of that mm-hmm. was born from when Archie first appeared in the back pages of Pep Comics number 22. He was originally just a backup feature. He was not even the cover. Okay. So after the war. So let's explain what's going on in the minds of Americans after the war. So after the war, they're like, all right, we don't really need anybody to save the day anymore. They're looking for something a little different. So we've got Archie. And you explained this to me before, and please elaborate. We got Westerns, sci-fi, crime. Crime comics, teen romance. So stuff like True Love and whatnot. And then also very famously... Yes, yes, Ooh. yes, yes. So the, the the whole thing is, of course, that, you know, like with any cultural medium, tastes change. Mm-hmm. So the war ends, the, the boys are coming home, mm-hmm. and everybody is ready for the post-war life. The economy is booming bigger than ever because of the war and also because of the post-war environment. Everybody is moving out to the suburbs. Television is the brand new thing movies are changing radio is still holding on popular music is changing from bobby socks and big band and 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 uh, jazz to rock and roll and stuff like that mm-hmm. and comics changed as well people didn't want to see characters punching out you know the germans or the japanese they they didn't want crime anymore they didn't mm-hmm. need the long underwear brigade to save the world <sighs> they wanted to read about things that didn't involve death and crime so superhero comics became very much out of vogue. Oh. And that is where other genres and other story ideas came that had been around because of the newspaper comics and because comics needed backup features. But now things that were originally just the sidebar to the superhero set became what everybody wanted. So sure. again, you had teen comedy like Archie. You had funny animal characters like like, like uh, the Disney set. You had romance comics you had sci-fi you had comics like crime does not pay and true crime Mm -hmm. and then over at ec comics you had things like uh horror and tales from the crypt with the crypt keeper and so many other things that became popular western characters like red rider and the lone ranger were immensely popular as well because of the the changing taste i'm sorry to interrupt the westerns which i thought was really interesting from the documentary that i watched um comic books confidential they said that every single like famous western movie star got or or i think singer as well got their um like a photo cover co- for their comic like they were all on the yeah. cover of their comics yeah roy rogers hopalong cassidy guys like that who were famous you know cowboy crooners heroes of the saturday matinee set suddenly like you know boomed even bigger because they would have comic books about their adventures and they always had covers that were 
just, you know, photographs of them in costume, maybe slugging out the latest bad guy or plucking their guitar strings or mm-hmm. drawing drawing a bead ready to, you know, shoot them out Cisco kid style. They were immensely popular. That's I think that's so awesome. I I'm I'm keen on westerns. Um, I don't know. Oh, so why. you're uh, John West. Wayne or John Wayne or Clint Eastwood? Oh, I'd have to say good old Clint Eastwood. Yeah. Nice, nice. <laughs> gotta, uh, gotta, gotta respect the man with no name. Also, gotta you gotta give some love to John Wayne too. He was yes. America's cowboy for decades. Yes, he was. He's got the the walk and the talk. He's he's what everybody impersonates now. So yes, much love to him. <laughs> but my favorite part of this um, is the Tales from the Crypt part. Um, it, Tales from the Crypt was a tongue-in-cheek horror series, and they started putting stuff out there where like there was murder. Um, there's uh, a women killing their husbands, uh, people being decapitated, um, blood and and stabbing, and just unnecessary crime. But but totally, you know, like. Like, just weird and you know I, I love that they really did take a chance and then that's when everybody was like whoa 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 maybe these comics aren't for the kids and yeah. then shit started going down <laughs> yes thing things went sideways in a hurry and that is all because of a man named Dr. Friedrich Wortham, who was a noted uh, child psychologist. He published a book in 1954 called Seduction of the Innocent, which was a clinical analysis of popular literature and that comic books specifically were a serious cause of juvenile delinquency in the youth of America. So you got to remember, this is 1950s America. Right. Eisenhower is in the White House. The Cold War is is hanging over everybody's heads. The Red Scare is constant. Mm-hmm. You know, the, like the parents and teachers of America don't know what the heck is going on. You know, you got rock and roll, which is apparently corrupting the youth of America. TV is a brand new thing that can be seen as educational, but could also rot your brains. <laughs> and they don't know what to make of the world. You know, they've gone through two wars at this point, World War II and the Korean War. So they are worried about their sons and daughters and grandchildren and what is going to happen to them. Yes. Well. I can tell you right now that I've been reading comics since <laughs> I was about five or six years old, and I am a fully functioning member of society. Yeah, you doing okay, so, Josh? Okay, good. <laughs> yeah, so so stick that in your pipe and smoke it there. <laughs> anyway, I, anyway. I thought it was funny, though, and um, they, would, they were just, like, attacking them for no reason. They're like, Superman flies, so all the kids are going to jump off buildings. Um, the print is bad for the kids' eyes. Comic books are going to make kids illiterate. Like, just all of these things that were like, wait, what? Do you have any proof of that? Or are you just saying that because you're scared? <laughs> you know? And it... I can understand their reaction. The world was rapidly changing at that Mm. point, but that kind of reactionary fear uh, then and even in today's society doesn't solve anything. And again, so Dr. Dr. Wortham published his book and it got America all up in a tizzy so much so that there is, there are photos. You can look this up on the internet people and also on YouTube of people burning comic books throughout America as much as the book burnings of during Hitler's Reich were happening during the 30s and the and during the war years 
parents and teachers and, and even church groups were having kids gather together in the town squares to have huge heaping bonfires on which the youth of America, after being told by mommy and daddy and, you know, uh, Mr. Price over at school and the reverend at church that comic books are bad and that your soul will burn in hell because of it. They're just happily tossing <laughs> these price now priceless pieces of Americana onto the fire yes. because they're told that it's bad without yeah. any regard for, hey, wait, well, we, we know what we like. Shouldn't we have a say in what we like? Right. They're just kind of like, okay, I guess we'll go with what everybody's saying. Because at that time, people really wanted to control, like, how America was growing. I mean, just look at politics. Like, it was just very, like, and what the, quote, acceptable human was at that time. It was awful. Like, it just, I would not want to go. People are like, I'm going to go back to the 50s. I'm like, I don't. <laughs> nope. <laughs> Yeah. Um, yeah, it's pretty crazy. But there was also something else in Comic Book Confidential, which showed, and you guys can look it up. I found it. It's 25 minutes long on YouTube. It's called Confidential File Video. It was a, a show called Confidential File. It's kind of like the like old school 2020 kind of thing, but way more intense and way more controlling, um, in my opinion anyway. And I'm not about controlling kids. I think kids should be their own free spirit self so they can grow to be awesome. So that's why that's the only reason why I say that. That's my opinion. But um, so my favorite was they showed this clip in comic book confidential of this confidential file video again you can find it on youtube of these boys gathering in a forest with their comic books and they're reading and there's this you know this guy that kind of sounds like the uh the narrator on the the twilight zone voice but a little creepier if you could even be creepier and he's like check out these guys check out these boys when i was a kid i used to do this that and the other but these guys they're sitting you know, uh, being juvenile delinquents over here reading comics about murder and, you know, decapitation or whatever. And then they show this close, like, artistically placed shot of this boy who pulls out his pocket knife because boys used to carry pocket knives in their back pockets when they were kids. And he just starts stabbing a tree, just stabbing a tree, and he looks possessed. <laughs> and I just started laughing. And John Babe, my husband, he just started laughing. He's like, are you serious? Because, of course, this is totally set up by the producers are like, all right, we need you to stab a tree after, you know, reading that comic book. And then they cut to this kid who slowly has this giant rock and they get really close to his face and his eyes get big and he slowly looks at his friend like he's about to pummel his friend. And then it keeps going where they find this boy on the street and they wrap him around a tree and they start torturing him with matches and rocks and poking and like putting a bandana over his eyes. I was like, this is so dramatic. <laughs> like, did you have, did, did that happen to you, Josh, when you were a kid? <laughs> no, that never happened to no? me. I never <laughs> once had any desire to pull out my Swiss army knife and yeah. go ham on my best buddies or pick up a rock <laughs> and bash somebody's brains in some, like some Cro-Magnon Neanderthal. Yeah. No, that never happened. <laughs> me i'm a i'm a i pay my taxes i pay my bills i'm a fully functioning member of society so to yeah. anybody who thinks that comics are not conducive to people becoming productive members of society go blow smoke out your butts you heard it here folks go blow smoke out your butts um cool all right they will do that. Um, all right. So then we move on to the 1954 Senate hearings. Do you want to yes. elaborate on that? All righty. So in reaction to Dr. Wortham's book, Senator Estes Kefauver convened a special subcommittee of the United States Senate that met in New York in mm. April and June of 1954 to investigate whether or not 
that comic books were a leading cause of juvenile delinquency in the youth of America. Mm -hmm. And they, and they, unlike Dr. Wortham, his book took a look at comics in general, but also focused on certain characters. Like he, he elaborated that Superman was essentially a fascist figure because he was like a personification of the Ubermensch that Hitler talked about would be the perfect German hero. He alluded that apparently because Wonder Woman was always tying up people in her comics with her magic lasso, that there was a bondage element and a subtle lesbian undertone. And he also insinuated that there was possible pedophilia in Batman and Robin because Bruce oh. Wayne and Dick Grayson are just two guys living in a big mansion with no women and a butler and that's it. And that apparently <laughs> Bruce Wayne was doing unspeakable acts to his young ward. No. Wow. No. no, 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 no. Bruce Wayne was a father figure standing in for all the young boys who lost their fathers, if right. anything. Now, anyway, to get back to the subcommittee hearing. So mm -hmm. they meet in April of June of 54. The uh, subcommittee particularly focused on horror and crime comics. And the only person they called to the stand was William Gaines, publisher of EC Comics, and so the publisher of such titles as Vault of Horror, Haunt of Fear, Weird Fantasy, Weird Science, Crypt of Terror, or Tales from the Crypt, famous comics that were well known for their elaborately gory stories involving crime, death, and all manner of spooky things that go bump in the night. Mm-mm-mm. Goodness gracious. And they showed a bit of that um, in the, I keep referring to the documentary, but it literally has everything. You guys go watch it. Um, they They showed a bit of the hearings and they're just like, reading stuff out loud and you just see these official guys like at their desk and they're reading these comic books like looking at them closely and I'm like you guys are silly <laughs> calm down it, it 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 is very ridiculous and one of the most famous uh pieces from the hearing was when uh, Mr. Gaines was up on the stand and it specifically is tied to what was the April May issue of uh, crime suspense stories, mm -hmm. which showed a very, I don't say infamous in a bad way, but famous cover of a man from the waist down holding an ax and a woman's bloody severed head. So this is the excerpt from the uh, fr from the uh, exchange there. So uh, you got Chief Counsel Herbert Beezer asking that you th so you think a child cannot in any way, shape, or manner be hurt by anything that the child reads or sees, Mr. Gaines? I do not believe so, Beezer. There would be no limit actually to what you put in the magazines, only within the bounds of good taste. Here is your May issue. This seems to be a man with a bloody axe holding a woman's head up, which has been severed from her body. Do you think that's in good taste? Yes, sir, I do, for the cover of a horror comic. <laughs> a cover in bad taste would be defined as her head holding a little higher so that the blood could be seen dripping and moving further from the body. And then uh, Senator Kefauver chimes in, you've got blood coming out of her mouth. Only a little. <laughs> Only a little, it's fine. That little blood out of the mouth never hurt anyone. Jeez Louise. So then after this, they were like, yeah, no, I, I think we got to create this this comics code authority. Yes. Um, which basically, go ahead, take it away, Josh. All right. So the comics code authority for anybody who has ever read reprints of any comics put out from the late 50s until about the 1980s or even into the 90s. I think they were still using the stamp of approval and everything. The comics code authority was created as a governing body by the Comics Magazine Association of America 
as the alternative to the government, the federal government policing comics. This body was made up of the few publishers that were still around as a self-regulatory group as to the content of comic books in the United States. It was a voluntary thing. There was no law requiring publishers to use it. But if you did, more often than not, if you did not have the approved by Comics Code Authority stamp on your book, it would not be published. Oof. It would not be sold and it would just you would you would you would find yourself out of business. Now, the rules at the time, the criteria is very specific. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to read through the whole thing, but some of the criteria, which are very sensible criteria, I would like to point out, not only for comic books then, but even for if you were trying to you know publish content for small children today. Okay. Crime shall never be presented in such a way as to create sympathy for the criminal to promote distrust of the forces of law and justice, or to inspire others with a desire to imitate criminals. If crime is depicted, it shall be as a sordid and unpleasant activity. Hmm. Policemen, judges, government officials, and respected institutions shall never be presented in such a way as to create disrespect for established authority. Obviously, in our current situation, with the way that pe with the way the police forces are today, that is an entirely different ball of wax. But in 1954, that is an entirely practical and sensible way of thinking. Mm -hmm. Yes, yes, absolutely. It's it's it really limits a lot of them. So like they were saying how their stories just became super boring. <laughs> I mean, not necessarily boring, but they were very they were very stripped of the creativity and freedom that they had during the 1940s. Mm. And on one hand, it did force people to get creative and think of new ways to tell stories that led to new innovativeness in comics and new creativity. Mm -hmm. We can get that, that which is what led to a lot of the big boom of the Silver Age, which we will get to in January when we return to our uh, next round of the discussion. Yes. But on the other hand, there are also things that I can understand that they didn't want in comics for kids that I don't want in comics for adults. I mean, not necessarily all comics, but it, I don't need that in my Batman or my Spider-Man. I don't need, for example, nudity in any form is prohibited as indecent or undue to exposure. I mean, I'm a red blooded man, you know, I'm not, I'm not shy about things, but if I'm reading comics, I want to read a good story. I don't need breasts right. and see. genitalia. If I wanted that, I'll go get a playboy. Yeah, yeah. No, yeah. I don't need that in my comic books. <laughs> Nobody wants to see that. No, I totally get you. And when it comes to... It's funny because John Babe, my, uh, my husband and I, we were at a comic store the other day. And we were trying to find uh, comics for our nieces. And John looked at me and he's like, so do we get Saga for our, our Lucy, our 16-year-old niece? And I was like, I don't know. I don't think so. Mm. I think that's too young for... Sa but it's funny because like... And I say that because of these lists of rules I'm kind of like well I'm not too upset about those things for kids but like if that's all the comics and they're not going to differentiate between these are kids comics these are adults comics you know it, it kind of gyps everybody of these weird and wild stories that could have been you know what I mean yeah it, it yeah it really does and again for 1954's America it makes sense for 2020 mm -hmm. Maybe if it's the kind of stuff that you're selling to five and seven year olds, that I get. But for teens and young adults and adults like you and me, we know what we we have. We our brains are much more highly evolved and we process things in a different way than the youth do. Right. That's different. I will say, however, I agree with you that 
depending on the person, I would not necessarily have a 16-year-old read Saga. Now, granted, <laughs> when I was 16 years old, I was reading Watchmen. I was reading V for Vendetta. Mm-hmm. I was reading some very intense stuff. But that's just how I'm wired. I can process things differently than other people, the same way you process things differently than from me or your husband or Corey or anybody else. Everybody consumes media and approaches it in a different way. What is good for the goose may not necessarily be good for the gander, to coin the, to use the phrase. Right, 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 right. We're all on our own journey, and uh, yeah, yeah, I hear that. I hear that. So the Comics Code Authority, that was actually the beginning of the Silver Age. Is that right? Not necessarily the beginning of the Silver Age, but the Comics Code Authority forced companies to restructure and rethink things, and it kind of helped lead to what would be the birth of the Silver Age. It was not okay. the instigator of the Silver Age, but it was a catalytic element. Okay, okay, got you. This is so incredibly interesting. Oh my gosh, we covered so much this last hour. Is there anything at all that we left out? Look through your notes. I know you made a bunch of notes. And you know what? This 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 age is intense and it's the beginning. So we may have left some things out. So um also, Josh, um, after you let, you know, let me know whatever you left out, I also would like to know any reading material that you would suggest mm. that our listeners um check out. Yes. Well, one thing that a lot of people would probably who listen to uh, your show mm-hmm. be wondering is what about women in comics? Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. we have so many fabulous women who work in the industry today. Yes. Kelly Sue DeConnick, yes. Heather Antos, who is an amazing editor over at Valiant, Babs Tar, who I love her artwork so much. I got to meet her at C2E2 for the <laughs> first time ever. Aww. Babs, you will never hear this, but you are fracking awesome and it was such a delight to meet you amanda <laughs> amanda connor who i absolutely love she's a dear friend of mine her and her husband jimmy palmiotti they do uh they, they've been doing harley quinn for so many Aww. years her artwork is gorgeous i love it i love it i love it <sighs> so many so many amazing things that are happening currently with women in comics ha- got their genesis got their start during the 1940s. And yes, the industry was largely a male-dominated industry at that point. Mm -hmm. But, 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 there were women who were kicking ass and really, really doing amazing things during the Golden Age. Uh, One creator who I'm an especial big fan of is June Tarp Mills, who was Mm -hmm. the creator of the character Miss Fury, who Mm, was a really awesome comic book character who actually was not, she appeared in comics, but she originally started out the way the spirit was. She was a comic strip character. She was created for, she was created for the, uh, for the papers. And she was in secret wealthy socialite, Marla Drake, who had no innate powers, but would gain increased speed and strength when she donned a special cat suit, which was a panther pelt that was enchanted by a African witch doctor given to her by her uncle who then bequeathed it to her. Wow. Okay. And so uh, she generally fought a lot of uh, typical characters at that point, uh, uh, mad scientists, uh, crime, uh, Nazi agents, including uh, Baroness Erika von Kampf and General Bruno. And also there was a love triangle between her Mm -hmm. Her former fiance Gary Hale and police detective Dan Carey, and Ooh. she actually uh, she, Marla didn't really like being a superhero because she resented the need for the secret identity and the danger that it posed. Oh, okay. 
And uh, one of the things that I loved about um, Miss Fury, uh, Marla Drake's comics, is that in her comics and in the Sunday funnies, you would also get you could get paper dolls of oh, Marla cool. with different outfits for her to wear, not just her Miss Fury costume, but also various fashionable outfits from evening wear to lingerie to bathing suits to athletic costumes to dress up everybody's favorite socialite heroine in. <laughs> That's awesome. And you were also telling me about um, Betty Bates. Did we say yes, that? yes, Betty mm-hmm. Bates, the Betty Bates uh, female attorney, a lady lawyer to be specific. She was originally created in the pages of Uh, She was originally created by Stanley Charbot under the pen name of Bob Powell, drawn by Al Bryant, Nick Carty, and Alice Kirkpatrick throughout the 1940s. She was original. She was one of the first lawyers in comics. So move over, Matt Murdock. Betty Bates (laughs) is here to show you how it's done. And she was uh, she was always uh, written and drawn as never needing a man to solve her problems. She wasn't just another in the long line of assistants, secretaries, or girlfriends. She was the leading feature, not unlike Wonder Woman or Miss Fury or Miss America or any of the other big name uh, female characters at that point in time. She was also one of the longest non-powered characters. She appeared for over 10 years from 1940 to 1950. Mm-hmm. Oh my God, that's awesome! And it, yeah, especially at a time where it was like comic books ruled the world. Uh, she no, they didn't apparently. Not all of them, but she ran that the longest. That's incredible, and it's a girl. I've never heard of her. I'm looking at these panels that you sent me, and she's like punching this guy, and she's like, "I'll teach you to lie to a reputable attorney." And it's just like <laughs> she knocks the gun out of his hand and knocks him unconscious. I was like, "Yes, girl, get it." Wearing a yellow like sundress. Like, yes. Yeah, yeah. She, she fought crime and uh, defended the law while looking utterly fashionable as well. Hey, man, it can be done. And then, oh. I'm gonna, yeah. Oh, yeah. Right. I, I'm definitely going to do a, a post about her this week during this week. But that, one of my favorites is Betty Bates, Lady at Law. Um, and she's burning like a wad of cash, just like no look, no care on her face. I have no idea why, but I'm like, girl, you've got a good reason. You get it. Um, I haven't read, I haven't read that one. I need to dig into that, but I believe that is hot cash, you know, either a bribe or something like that. One would assume if the, uh, if, uh, attorney Bates is burning some, uh, greenbacks, it's because somebody tried to bribe her into, you know, taking a dive on a case. Uh, and that's not how our girl Betty swings. She is a firm defendant of the law. That's amazing. I love that. Oh my gosh. I love all of this. Like this is such a good just like jump start to comics. Like it's starting hot. It's it's go 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 go. And then we got a little bit of the comics code which spoil alert doesn't thwart people for too long, you know. No, it, it does out. not. No, don't give it away. That's a good Silver Age one. I know exactly what you're thinking about, my friend. <laughs> and when I heard that, I was like, get it, you know? So, yay. Awesome. Thank you, Josh. That's You awesome. are so welcome. Uh, one other quick thing. Uh, <laughs> we, and we mentioned it earlier was uh, when talking about Archie and the changing tastes was yes. how certain companies evolved. Okay. Because of the changing tastes of the of the post-war years and Dr. Wortham's book and uh, Senator Kefauver and the Senate hearings. Mm-hmm. Well, so one example of just that change happening naturally without any poking or prodding because of society was Archie Comics. You know, originally mm-hmm. Pep Comics, they were publishing characters like the Wizard and the Shield and the Hangman and the Comet. 
and they were immensely popular characters. But Archie was always there, and Archie was always popular as a backup feature. But in the post-war years, Archie became more and more dominant. Not after, uh, not long after, he was sharing the covers with the Shield. And then eventually he took over the covers entirely. And the Shield G-Man Club, which you where you could mail away for an official Shield G-Man badge, became the Archie Club, the first official Archie Club. And if you wanted to, you could mail you could send your you could send your Shield G-Man badge back to Archie Comics, as it was now being called, for an official Archie Club button. Oh, that's awesome! Those are probably huge collector's items now. I have yet to see one myself that did not cost at least a very decent amount of cash and made my heart hurt and my bank account want to bleed. <laughs> one day, friend. One day. One day. One day. But another company that also yep. uh, uh, naturally, not naturally, they were forced to because of the change was EC. You know, the publishers mm-hmm. of some of the greatest, goriest comics of the, of the, of the golden age. They became mad. They became what? mad magazine. Oh yeah, that's so one awesome. of the one of the greatest magazines that for years has poked fun at society and mm-hmm. lampoon culture mm-hmm. was born out of fear, superstition, and the force of and the forcing changing hand of fate. I and love that is an that. amazing thing. That is so amazing. I love Mad Magazine still. <laughs> oh, Alfred E. Newman is the man. I tell you what. <laughs> So that's a little bit about like companies that, you know, they changed uh, whether naturally or by force. Mm-hmm. So I also want to briefly touch on yes. the impact of the comic book in other media. Okay. So famously, one of the most well-known pieces of spinoff media for superheroes is the Superman radio show that mm-hmm. ran throughout the 1940s. One of the most famous arcs of the Superman radio show was Superman versus the clan of the fiery cross, which was the famous uh, series of adventures in which Superman took down a pseudo uh, pastiche of the uh, Ku Klux Klan, which also reignited the knowledge of the clan in America and got people to realize, Hey, there are horrible, horrible people out there mm. who are still doing these things. Wow. And it was an amazing show that introduced so much core stuff for Superman's character, including uh, the names of his Kryptonian parents, Jor-El and Lara. Uh, It really is, it really, the comics and the radio show helped to broaden the relationship between Clark and Lois. So much was born from that radio show. You had the Superman adventure serial with Kirk Allen that was immensely popular. You also had Captain Marvel, now known as Shazam, which was an amazing movie, by the way. He was the very first superhero to get his own movie serial he beat superman ah. to the punch in that regard he may have superman may have gotten his first ever the first ever radio show but shazam captain marvel billy batson first appearing in Wiz comics number two created by cc beck and bill parker mm-hmm. was the first guy to ever get a saturday matinee serial that was actually wow. a very faithful adaptation of the origin of the character okay my goodness Whew. yeah That's yeah so awesome. you had you also had the batman movie serial which is awful like, it, it's bad. No, no, no. I watched it once just to see what it was. The costumes are terrible. Hollywood had no idea how to handle Batman. Mm-hmm. It was bad. If you watch it, you watch it once, walk away, never go near it again. You want something that'll make you laugh and won't make your uh, imagination hurt and your teeth itch? Go watch Adam West. Go watch Burt Ward. Go watch uh, Ben Affleck or George Clooney or Val Kilmer. 
or you know the Batman animated series, go watch something good. Stay yeah. away from the from the schlock fest uh, piece of garbage that is the '40s Batman serials. <laughs> they were just trying to pump it out, just get it out there. Right? They they didn't know how to handle the characters. Superman oh, and Captain Marvel were easier for mm-hmm. them. You know, because you could work with that. Batman is a little more, was at that point, even then, a little more complex because he also had, at that point, a very impressive rogues gallery than just typical mad scientists and criminals. Well, he also, he used to kill people during that time, right? Mm, Very, very early. In the early, in the very early stories by Bob Kane, Bill Finger, and, uh, and Jerry Robinson, Batman did carry a gun. Okay. And he, but he, and the only time that, and and one of the few instances where I can actively remember him using firearms in the, in the, in the pursuit of justice was when he battled Professor Hugo Strange. We all remember Hugo Strange from the Arkham video games and the Batman cartoons, the man who figures out that Bruce Wayne is Batman and tries to, you know, take him down psychologically and whatnot. Mm -hmm. Uh, uh, So Professor Strange kidnapped a bunch of unfortunates from a sanatorium um, men who you know by today's standards would be in care facilities but because of their mental disorders but they were locked up in the funny farm you know rubber uh rubber uh, padded walls and rubber jackets and everything and electroshock mm-hmm. therapy and he subjects these poor unfortunates to a chemical process that mutates them into mr hyde-esque giant brutes known as the monster men <laughs> And so Batman, in his auto gyro, which was also a very early form of the personal airplane, and which was also, you know, in this case, the earliest bat plane, mm-hmm. is flying around with a machine gun, having to blow, you know, mow these guys down because they're just mindless brutes. They are not even the poor unfortunates they were before they were taken from the sanatorium because they they can't be stopped. They, he tries to take them on on his own, and he gets his butt kicked. Yeah. So he has to he has to use brute force. And it's, it's, it's unfortunate that he has to, but that's one of those situations where it, in the early days, if you're confronted with that kind of unstoppable force, you, you're going to have to use an extreme measure. Right. And right. Un- unfortunately, and I do not condone the active taking of life, but in that instance, for the sake of the story, it's a, necess- it's a necessary component. Because they, are, they, they aren't even human anymore. They're beasts. They're giant literal mr hyde creatures right mutated not of their own accord yeah yeah they were forcibly subjected to those chemical processes by doctors by professor strange and i think it's funny that they tried to make uh, a show off of that because i think that they thought comic was like you know saturday morning cartoons but you've actually got this vi- not a villain uh, excuse me batman is not a villain just this dark superhero and it's kind of hard because it talks about some really serious um people and just a really serious situation you know just you know of course batman's story especially um so yeah of course that was difficult to translate because until they figured out that batman needed to go like dark was not it, it wasn't good before then no it really it really really wasn't and just to touch a little bit more on that the reason why I have always enjoyed Batman in terms of comics in general mm-hmm. is because in the right hands of the right writer and artist teams, and this is this is a character who's been around for 80-something years here, folks. So you've got, a, as much as you've got great stories, you've got bad stuff too. Not yeah. bad necessarily in terms of art or story. It's just that one or the other didn't go well. 
Mm. And that happens. But Batman has always been one of my favorites in terms of all comics because he is so incredibly complex. Everyone looks at him and says, oh, he's just motivated by a desire for vengeance. No, he is motivated by a desire to use his wealth and status to make the world a better place. Not in terms of his vision, but in terms of so that no child will ever have to feel or see the same fear he felt when his parents were gunned down in Crime Alley when he was eight years old. Yeah, yeah, poor guy. We love Batman. <laughs> we, we love we love Brucey. We love Bruce Wayne. Good old. Uh, just to also briefly touch back on the media aspect, I talked about yes. Archie. Everybody loves Archie. You know, the show Riverdale is really good. KJ Apa really is amazing as Archie Andrews. He does a great job. Mm-hmm. The old yeah. Archie car- the old Archie weird mystery cartoon from the 2000s is great. The old Archie cartoons from the 60s and the 80s are fun. But if you really want to hear something, if you want a want to hear theater of the mind, Archie had a radio show that aired throughout the 1940s. And it was an incredibly popular show that was so much fun. You can still find audio files of it uh, in a lot of different places. Uh, I know at one point uh, you could get CD collections from Archie Comics. I don't know if you still can, but if you do have the opportunity to find them, please, please, please get your hands on them because it, it, it's it's pure classic Archie. You know, he gets into goofy situations with Jughead and Betty and Veronica. Mm-hmm. Uh, his, you know, like, you know, trying to fix the roof or paint the living room, uh, going Christmas shopping, figuring out who he's going to take to the spring fling or whatever, or the sock hop. And it's always with a great cast of voices. And one of the most famous things from that show was the actor who, uh, the voice actor who played uh, Jughead on the show, Hal Stone, he voiced Jughead for the longest time. You can actually read his autobiography entitled, Relax, Archie, Relax, because that was <laughs> that was one of his signature catchphrases on the show, was always telling his bestest buddy to relax, Archie. But every time Jughead would enter the scene, it would usually be that Mr. Andrews would open the door and go, Oh, good grief, Jughead. And then Juggy's response is typically something like, who are you expecting? Jersey Joe Hucox? <laughs> like he was just snarky Jughead. Oh, that's awesome. That's awesome. <laughs> and I mean, gosh, I don't even know how you remember all of that, but that's awesome. <laughs> I have an incredibly strange brain. I have likened it to a Cray computer with vast amounts of storage in its data banks. As much as I can remember important dates and names in history and things from school, I can also remember seemingly useless information that is put to practical use on a fabulous show like this. Oh, well, um, so if people want to keep reading about the Golden Age, what do you suggest that they read? Well, it, in terms of, it, 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 de- it depends on whether you're approaching this from an academic point of view, in terms of reading about the history and learning more about the men and women and the company and the mm-hmm. companies and the history. Mm-hmm then I cannot recommend enough a couple of different books. Um, I happen to have several of them here in my shelf, Mm -hmm. and I will make sure to uh, send the titles to you so that you can put them out uh, in your show notes for people. Mm -hmm. So uh, this one 
is Mike Benton's The Illustrated Superhero Comics of the Golden Age. And this is volume four in a series that he did about comics. He also did a volume about horror comics, a volume about oh. the superhero comics of the Silver Age, and sci-fi comics, and the comic book in America. But this specifically is about the Golden Age. And this is one of my favorite books because this is one of the books that got me into the history of the industry when I was about eight or nine years old from my local library. And I awesome. am so happy to have a copy of it in my collection. So once again, Mike Benton's Superhero Comics of the Golden Age and Illustrated History. That's one book. Another great book in terms of history, one that was given to me by my mentor, Justice Carmen, is Lou Mujin's Secondary Superheroes of the Golden Age. So a lot of those characters I have rattled off during this episode, The Shield, The Flag, Catman and Kitten, Bullet Man and Bullet Girl – we're all very secondary characters compared to the the titans that have still managed to walk the earth to this day, like Batman, mm. Shazam, Flash, mm. Wonder Superman. Woman, Captain America, <laughs> Superman, yes. So Mujin's book is a great breakdown written in very amusing uh, prose-style uh, uh, commentary about these characters. And he has tons of scans of classic art and comics from throughout that period. So like Zip Comics with Steel Sterling and the and and the Fly or the the Web or uh, you know Blackjack Jackpot Jackpot Comics, the original Daredevil who was a mute guy who uh, had a boomerang and had uh, uh, skills that he learned from an Aborigine tribe. So this is uh, Lou Mujin's secondary superheroes of the Golden Age put out by MFC Press. You can find that wow. on Amazon. And now in terms of if people want to actually go out and read stuff from the Golden Age. Yes. Well, thankfully, a lot of companies have put out collections of this stuff over the years. Uh, DC is very famous for putting out a series of archive editions that you can still find at comic book stores if you special order them or if you get them through your local library or through auction houses or used bookstores. They are the DC Archive Editions, and those reprinted a lot of the Golden Age stories of The Flash, the JSA, Batman, Superman, Wonder Woman. They've also started putting out omnibus editions, which are a little more pricey. But honestly, you do get a lot of bang for your buck with those omnibus editions. They're beautiful hardcovers with great cover art from different artists uh, that work for DC, either you know freelance or are on contract. I know one of my favorite artists, a buddy of mine named Evan Doc Shaner, who is currently working on Strange Adventures with Tom King and Mitch Jarrett, has done a lot of artwork for them for their uh, omnibus covers for the Golden Age. Mm -hmm. Marvel also put out a lot of stuff called the Masterwork Editions. Which they did they did that for all their stuff, by the way. So not just the Golden Age, but Silver Age, Bronze Age, Horror, Hero, whatever. But they've also put out a lot of stuff for the Golden Age. So 1940s Captain America, 1940s Submariner, the original Human Torch, who was a synthetic human, an android who could uh, catch on fire by saying flame on and fought crime, you know, using the power of the flame. Those are great places to go. If you want to get your hands on stuff like the shield you're gonna have to dig a little deeper at one point archie did put archie comics did put out a trade paperback that collected his earliest stuff uh mm -hmm. i was very fortunate to order a copy when it was still brand spanking new you can still find it online on places like amazon or at half price books or at your local comic shop i'm sure they could maybe special order it, order it for you or ask around so you got to do a little digging 
But if you look hard enough, you will find what you seek. The treasure is there. And if you want to read Golden Age, Archie. Archie has put out a couple. Archie at one point put out an amazing series of books called Archie Americana, which uh, was different volumes of Archie throughout the decades. And they've got two volumes of 1940s Archie comics that are just absolutely delightful. Oh, my goodness. Uh, Yeah. I will say, though, Uh uh, one book, uh, and I told you about this. This was one of the first collections of Golden Age stuff I ever got got into as a kid at my local library. And I am so fortunate to have found a copy of it at a used bookstore several years ago. This is a Smithsonian book of comic book comics, which was put out by Smithsonian and Abrams Press, edited by Michael Barrier and Martin Williams. And it contains... The first appearance of Batman, the first appearance of Superman. It contains some early spirit stories. It contains uh, some early Pogo Possum by Walt Kelly, Little Lulu, Plastic Man, uh, one or two early Mad Magazine stories. It is a very fun book. It's very old. This was originally published in the 1970s or the 1980s, I want to say. So it is a very old book, uh, specifically 1981 by Smithsonian Institution. So if you can find a good copy of it, read it, but take care of it, because this is an old, valuable book. Valuable in terms of what it means to the history of the industry. Right, right. Wow. So, yeah, so Josh is going to send me the list of all those amazing uh, pieces of literature that you can check out, and I will put them in our show notes. The show notes can be found on the description of the episodes. If you're on Spotify and you click on the episode, you can get to the show notes from there. They will be there. Um, I forgot to tell you guys to get a pen and paper out before here because, goodness, (laughs) I mean, are are we learned or what? I'm Shoot. That was awesome. <laughs> I would say I would say that this is a sufficient beginning education for the history of the industry. I'm putting on my yes. professor hat for a moment. I'm I putting love on it. my I'm putting on my hat and getting my tie out. Yes. Oh, I love it. Thank you, thank you, thank you for imparting just even just a fraction of your historical knowledge. I am so grateful to have you here. And like I said before, he is officially OCD's comic historian. So if you have any questions for him, yes, I'll let you guys know the next time he comes on. Uh, For Silver Age, I'll remind you and let us know. And uh, yeah, let us know if you have any questions and I'll ask him right here. He'll answer them. You see how passionate he is? (laughs) I am more than happy to any answer answer any questions for people and if you also have questions out uh, before the next episode of the sh- of our uh, history series airs in january that is going to be about the silver age by the way yes. so that is going to be a lot of fun yes feel free to reach out to me through um our social media pages uh yeah. the you can we can be found on uh instagram and twitter at the triple c podcast or if you want I'm going to I'm going to throw it out there. You can uh, shoot me an email over at triple C nerd podcast at gmail.com. Once again, CCC nerd podcast at gmail.com. Yes, he's your guy. I I will happily answer any questions that people have and direct them to any resources, which, by the way, you talked about it. uh, We talked about it extensively throughout the show. Uh Do go check out the documentary comic book confidential. It came out in I want to say 88 Yeah, like 88 or 87, I want to say. It is an amazing documentary about the history of the industry. It is about an hour and 20-something minutes long, but it covers the whole history of the industry up until that point in time. 
and it is got inter- it has interviews with Jack Kirby and Will Eisner and uh, Mr. William Gaines, you know, mm-hmm. former uh, publisher of EC, then became publisher of Mad. Just so many men and women who get to impart a little bit of the wisdom of the comics industry and all with beautiful, colorful graphics, and it's a lot of fun. You can check it out on uh, Amazon Prime. It's the 20th anniversary edition, so it's a lot of fun. If you are able, ever able to find a physical copy of it, I suggest you get your hands on that thing. Make sure that it will actually play on your Blu-ray or DVD player because <laughs> you you don't want to get a bootleg that will screw you up. Right. Mm-hmm. Good but, advice. Oh, <laughs> uh, yes, absolutely. And I, I, I just a quick plug for uh, – we talked about it before we uh, started doing the show – one of my favorite novels. I have had this copy of this novel since I was a sophomore or junior in high school. <laughs> I have read it so much that I had to buy the Kindle edition. Michael Chabon's The Amazing Adventures of Cavalier and Clay. This is an amazing Pulitzer Prize winning novel that is all about the golden age from the wow. fictional perspective of two cousins, Joe and Sam, who create their own character during this point in time. So it is all about their lives and all about how they are impacted by the golden age of comics, how they are impacted by World War II and movies like Orson Welles' Citizen Kane or the surrealist art movement with uh, figures like Salvador Dali. And in the case of Joe, because he is an immigrant who escaped from Nazi-occupied Prague, so there's a lot about Joe and how his he's adjusting to life over in America. There's uh, a lot of deep stuff in this book. And I literally could not recommend this enough to people. If you want to gain a fictional understanding of the industry beyond our conversation, beyond the documentary, beyond reading the comics, beyond reading these uh, historic texts and volumes, it is a fictional perspective, but it is so grounded that you would almost think that Sam and Joe were real and were actually part of the golden age of comics alongside Siegel and Schuster and and Will Gaines and uh, Joe Simon and Jack Kirby and Gardner Fox and June Tart Mills and William Moulton Marsland and all the men and women who were the foundational founding figures of the comics industry as we know it today. Amazing. Amazing. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, if you guys want to hear uh, Mr. Josh here talk about comics and games and cosplay and culture and so many awesome things, you guys have got to check him out at the Triple C Podcast. Um, that's where we got to know each other, just like I-, I went on his show, and it was awesome. They were so kind. And what I especially love about your show, Josh, is that you guys were not afraid to talk about the hard stuff. You guys have an episode that's just called BLM, uh, you know, and you have episodes where you start off with all the the douchebag sexist jerks in the comic book industry and you call them out by name and how surprised you are like you are not afraid to put up front all the dirt and the stuff that's really hard to talk about and I will say that all four of you together um, really do create an awesome team and you're able to talk us through that and that's awesome dude really oh blast blast Tess you are so <laughs> sweet thank you and we, we, we do that because there are some podcasts that tend to only focus on the bright and happy things which is fine Mm-hmm. But if you ignore the harsh realities of what is going on, not only in society and in the world, but also in this industry that we love so much, 
then you are essentially blinding yourself to it. And you are looking through things with rose-tinted glasses and are sure. not willing to see the grime and accept it for what it is, but also use the what the horrible things that are happening as a motivation to want to make the world a better place. Love you don't it. need to bench press a mountain. You don't need to be able to shrug <laughs> off bullets or say a magic word and become another person. You yourself through simple acts of kindness every day or wanting to actively make a difference can make the world a better place. If you're yes. tired of if you are tired of corruption in your local police force, if you are tired of police brutality towards people of different ethnic backgrounds, then go join your local police academy. Become a member of your force. Make change from within. If you have an aspiration for politics and you are tired of seeing things happening in politics, whether federal or municipal or state or whatever that don't that don't honestly just not even measure up to your worldview, but also are just not making things conducive to the way society should be. Mm -hmm. Make that difference. Be the change that you want to see in the world. Run for local office, volunteer, find out how you can make a difference in your community, in your state, in your city, on a federal level, wherever. Because only change will come when we actively stand up and say, I want to make a difference. Enough is enough. I want to be the change in this world. And again, you don't need to put on a costume to do that. You don't need to have powers or a secret identity to do that. You don't need a Batmobile. You don't need a satellite orbiting up 50,000 miles above the earth. Just be yourself. Be the yeah. honest, simple you and be a good person. I know that sounds cliche, but good will come when good people take action. Yeah. Those who stand aside when evil is prevalent are only damning the world and themselves. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Beautifully said, Josh. Thank you for saying that. Oh, Very well I, said. I I, I, I I sometimes get carried away. I apologize for that, yeah. listeners. I, I, I apologize. I and if, if you want, and if you want, Tess has been nothing but sweet about us. I, like, you are an absolute delight, and I love Aww. listening to your show every week because Thank you talk you. about so much great stuff. And the fact that you are only getting into comics within the last two years, so your honesty and your enthusiasm makes listening to your show so great because Aww. that is the same enthusiasm that I had when I was a little kid, but it is reflected <laughs> in you as an adult, and I love that. And I see it in myself, too, because every time I pick up a comic book, whether it's something I read, the day before yesterday or it's brand spanking new i have that energy i have that enthusiasm yeah. that's amazing thank you for saying that. those are very kind words and you've been a huge support for ocd and i appreciate that so so much Pshaw, i'm just doing what i can to support a fellow podcaster and a sister in the industry oh well i appreciate it buddy it does not go unnoticed so thank oh, you bless really. now so folks you heard tess talk about it but i'll just uh do the quick plug we yep. are the Triple C Podcast. We air a new episode every Monday on any platform that you love to get your podcasting fix from. So SoundCloud, Spotify, iTunes, where you can rate and review us. Mm -hmm. Google Podcasts, iHeart, Stitcher, wherever. If you call those places your home for your podcasting fix, or if you have a podcasting app, look us up, The CCC Podcast. That's Comics, Culture, and Cosplay. You can find us on Twitter at the Triple C Podcast, or you can find us on Instagram at 
the, you can also search us for the Triple C Podcast as well. If it makes it easier, just go to Tess's page. Find us through there. We follow one another because we are just awesome sauce like that. Yeah. And <laughs> make sure to check out all of our current episodes as well as Tess's current episodes if you haven't just yet. Because th- this woman right here, she she brings on fabulous co-hosts and she talks about fabulous stuff. I, yeah. I Even if it's something I've read before, I, I learned something new. Oh, well, great. <laughs> my my face hurts from smiling. I, I love your passion for everything that you do, man. That That's awesome. Go check them out, guys. Go do it. Um, Now I'm going to move on to something else, Josh. And this is a big deal. Josh has Woo-hoo! been... Yeah, Josh, I have this huge project I want to tell you guys about. And let me just say, Josh has been one of the main people checking in on me to make sure I'm still alive. <laughs> Yeah, because you. you're crazy, girl. You're crazy with what you're doing. I, I, hey, man, like you, I got passion for it. Once I got an idea, it's just, I, it, it's got to happen. You know, this is how it works. Um, so I had this crazy, spooky idea. You guys, are you ready? Ladies and ghouls, zombies of all ages, welcome to the part of the episode where I make a big announcement about something that has easily become one of my most favorite projects that I've ever worked on. Are you ready? You ready, Josh? You ready for this? I'm ready. Here he is. He's ready. In order to count down to the best holiday ever conjured, in October, the ongoing comic book discussion podcast is going to be releasing one horror comic episode per day for 31 days. That's right, folks. That's one episode per day from October 1st until October 31st. Woo! Each day, I am reviewing a horror comic or a horror movie based on a horror comic with some really amazing guest co-hosts, including this guy here. He's coming on. Yeah, he's got a thumbs up there. Trust me, you guys, you don't want to miss this. It's it's such an amazing, it, it's just, it's going to be so fun. Uh, we've got so much spooky content coming your way. It's fantastic. Thank you, thank you. Um, there will also be, also be two horror comic themed giveaways, and I am so excited to tell you about those during the month. Um, I will be announcing this event on social media the Thursday after this release. So if you're listening to it on the Wednesday that this came out, you are one of the first to hear. Um, so, but I will be uh, announcing it officially tomorrow, Thursday, after this podcast, um, this episode. So check out more details there. And in order to get ahead of the game and know what's going on for the month, at patreon.com slash podcast, you can become an OCD patron for $2 per month, where you will have exclusive access to the list of horror comic content coming your way. And I will be posting weekly on Patreon for the month of October, and I am so looking forward to connecting with you there. Got some fun stuff going on. Lastly... I want to give a huge, huge thank you to the ever-growing and ever-lovely podcast and comic book family who jumped on board immediately when I sent the message to ask if they wanted to be part of this horror comic marathon. I almost had the whole month booked in less than 24 hours. It was incredible. I have been working on this project since July, and I am nearly done recording for all 31 days. Woot woot. Um, along the way, I've met some really amazing people, and it's just been so amazing. I've grown as a host and a podcaster and an, an editor um it's it's just been an awesome uh experience for me 
Um, anyway, the this project will not be possible without all of you comic book and podcast fam. I love you guys, and thank you, thank you, thank you. Uh, make sure that you are following along on social media on Instagram at OCD Podcast, Facebook at Facebook.com slash OCD Podcast, and Twitter at Ongoing Comic Pod. Woo! <laughs> I'm excited. Any any last things to say, Mr. Josh, before we send everybody off? Only this. Boys and ghouls of all ages, sink your teeth into a fangtacular time with the fabulous <laughs> mistress of the night, Tessianos. This is one fright fest that you do not want to miss out on. It's an absolute scream, everybody. Take it from one who knows. <laughs> Oh, yes, it was the perfect send-off. All right, everyone, thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of Ongoing Comic Book Discussion Podcast. Much love to you all, and I'll see you next time. Say bye, Josh. Bye, everyone. <laughs>